Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. It was February of 2003, and the rumblings of an ice storm started. At the time, this mom of a three-year-old and a three-month-old started making vital preparations. Plenty of diapers, snacks, and activities to keep a three-year-old entertained. Never in our wildest dreams did I think we would lose power and be forced to pack up our daughters to find a place to stay that had power and heat. Lexington came to a standstill. The memory of that ice storm lingers for many of its residents. Here with us today is Librarian Wayne Johnson to talk about how that storm was such a defining moment in our weather history. Hi, welcome, Wayne. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast to talk about this historic ice storm for from uh, 2003. Thanks, Marion. You know, February of this year marks the 20th anniversary of that infamous February 2003 ice storm. In fact, uh, Wednesday, February 15th is uh, beginning of the, the exact date. Ice storm, yeah, the exact date. Yeah, mm-hmm. just a couple of days away. And it's a storm that people that were around at the time uh, will never forget. Yeah. <laughs> Lexington's had several notable weather events in its history. You know, there was the uh, uh, sleet storm around Christmas time in 1890. Uh, there was a heavy rainstorms in 1928 and 1932, resulting in Main Street flooding. The uh, Waters got up like three feet, and uh, downtown businesses were flooded. And this was before they uh, got the sewer system updated. So (laughs) it's much better now. Of course, we had the 1951 ice storm. The April 1974 tornadoes in central Kentucky in the Midwest uh, had a great impact on, on central Kentucky. Uh, People that lived through that uh, won't ever forget it. And, of course, the winters of 1977 and 1978, I was a student at UK at the time, and uh, those were really bad winters, especially if you had an English 101 class at 8 o'clock in the morning. And (laughs) the professor only allowed us us like two absences for the whole semester. (laughs) I'm like, I had to get up and catch the bus at seven o'clock, uh, city bus at seven o'clock in 15. No snow days, no snow days. <laughs> no snow days. We did in 77, UK did close uh, one day. Uh, I think the first day of the snowstorm. But uh, th- those winters were really bad for, for those of us who lived through it. And of course, nobody will ever forget the January 1994 snowstorm. Uh, I could... We could do a podcast on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I actually I remember that one yeah. as a oh, yeah. child yeah. <laughs> snowing yeah. and then taking sledding down the hill behind our house. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that, was, a, that snow- was a rough snowstorm. I was in high school, I believe, in that time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the snow, not only the, the snow, I think there was, what, 16 inches of snow, but the temperatures uh, just really extreme. I think we may have broken a record or two during during that time. 
I remember the interstate uh, 75 being closed down for a day or so. So that, that shut down the whole area for a couple of days. Well, getting back to the ice storm of February of 2003, you know, it uh, compared to these other weather events, it, it, it holds a place of its own in Lexington weather history. Now, heading into that weekend, the weather forecast called for a chance of an icing event with rain turning into sleet and ice at some point. We all knew this storm was coming and we all knew it was going to be an icing event. Uh, my recollections at the time was that the storm, it was basically the usual, uh-oh, Another ice is going to be on the streets, <laughs> it's going to be tough to drive, and uh, it's going to be very problematic. We knew all that was coming, but nobody, I think, could have predicted, other than maybe the weatherman, what was what was to come. The original, I think the original forecast called for like a quarter inch of ice with the storm. It turned out to be closer to two inches of ice. And, uh, of course, that uh, really played havoc with our utility wires and poles. Of course, yeah. Trees down. Now, the, fr- the freezing rain began during the... Uh, evening of Saturday, February 15th, and by the next day, over 140,000 KU customers were without power. Uh, my recollection was our power went out uh, Sunday morning. That, that's my memory. Uh, we lost a tree in our front yard uh, later on that day, and we were, we were sitting in, my wife and I were sitting in, the, I think, the kitchen, and I just heard a crack. And looked out and my tree, my tree in the front yard was gone. The interesting thing about that, I have, I have two trees. I had two trees in my front yard and the one that fell was, seemed to me to be the sturdier. I'm not an expert on trees, but seemed to be a more sturdier tree than the other one that survived. So I always wondered about that. Uh, Probably that tree was protecting the other tree from the, the wind and ice and all that. But anyway, my tree, unfortunately, was not the only tree that was toppled over in Lexington. Uh, hundreds of trees uh, fell over, some knocking down power lines and uh, poles. And um, as a result, trees and limbs and wires were strewn all about the city of Lexington. I, it was really bad. Roads were blocked with debris. Uh, schools were closed, uh, even UK. I know the library was closed, I think, Monday and Tuesday. I think we came back to work on Wednesday. But uh, I was without power for the whole week. Yeah. Yeah, so so were we. Yeah, we were. At the time, I had um, two daughters. My three-year-old, uh, Bayan, who's, gosh, now she's 23. And, and Sajida was three months old, I think. Yeah. We were without power for over a week. Uh, we had to go find someplace to, to live since it was so cold in the house with, with, you know, children, it was kind of rough. So yeah. But I, I remember preparing for that, for the ice storm thinking, oh, we'll just have some ice and it'll melt in a couple of days. So I just got like a few snacks, some activities for the, the girls to do at home. And, but yeah, lo and behold, 
we, the power went out literally instantaneously when the storm started for us. Yeah, when ours went out, see, I, li- I, I was living during the uh, April 1974 tornadoes. And our power went out, uh, I believe that was a, a Tuesday night. And our power went out, I don't know, seven or eight o'clock that evening and stayed out or stayed off for the entire night and came back sometime uh, the next morning. So that was my comparison. I'm thinking, okay, the power's out. The worst that's going to happen can't get any worse than the tornadoes of 1974. So I, so I just figured it, it'll be back on, uh, you know, within a half day or so. Well, needless to say, <laughs> I was wrong. And my wife, I actually told my wife, Joan, early on, I said, hey, you know, it'll come back on in a half day or so. And uh, her uh, parents lived in Wilmore and they had power. They weren't impacted by the storm. And it was uh, uh, the retirement home, Wesley Village, which uh, is in Wilmore. And so uh, by Monday, she had been fed up with uh, not having power. So she (laughs) went went to Wilmore to to, uh, stay with her parents. Then my mother-in-law called me, I think, Monday night and was asking me, you know, come on over. You know, we got hot water and food and heat. And I said, oh, that's all right. I'll, I'll just stay here. Little did I know I'd be out without electricity for a week. I, I would have took, took her up on the offer if I knew I was going to uh, be without electricity <laughs> like so many in Lexington. How did you stay warm, Wayne? <laughs> well, we had a, well, that's, that's a good point. We had an insert down in the basement. And of course I had plenty of, uh, wood and my next door neighbor is always well stocked with wood and I think I got some wood from him so I had enough wood to to burn in the insert for the whole week of course with the electricity being out the blower on the insert didn't work but if if you situated your chair which I did down in the basement close enough to the insert you know you could stay warm I had my uh uh battery-operated radio and had a flashlight. So I pretty much uh, lived down in the basement, uh, lit some candles for the whole week. Oh, wow. And I told, I told somebody at the end of the storm that I wouldn't, wouldn't want to go through that ever again, that whole week of, I call it pioneering. Uh, that's the term <laughs> I use whenever I'm faced with dire weather circumstances. I, I told somebody, I said, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to go through that again, but I wouldn't trade the experience of that one week of, you know, just trying to figure out how to survive. And, you know, a lot of people don't, uh, I, I, I thought about this even when it was going on. We really, the city of Lexington really dodged a big time uh, disaster as bad as it was with the temperatures uh, I don't think the temperatures got any lower than maybe the mid twenties at night, and then later on in the week started warming up to the forties. But can you imagine if the temperatures were below zero after the ice storm hit? And uh, no doubt, some people like me would have stayed in their house and tried to get through it. And but yeah, yeah, because our house was just it was all electric. We didn't have any gas powered anything or any kind of. So we we ended up leaving, 
to um, friends of ours invited us over and we just camped out with them. They had, you know, a newer neighborhood with buried power lines and they had power throughout the whole situation. But, um, but I remember driving from our house to our friend's house was harrowing. It was a, a, a nightmare getting there, but we had to. So in order to, just to find a yeah, warm I went place to, to stay. I went to Berea on, I think, Monday afternoon for memorial service. And uh, just driving through the streets, of uh, course, further on south, it, it was mostly rain. So they, they didn't, uh, down in Berea and further on south, southeastern Kentucky, eastern Kentucky, they had to deal more with flooding issues than they uh, did with ice. Uh, but those of us north of the Kentucky River, it was it was a perfect storm, in, in or imperfect storm, however you want to call it, for for the Lexington and the in its uh, surrounding counties because the the line of ice only came through our area, and bombarded us. If you were south of, south of it, you were going to get the rain. No north big deal, other snow. than of course the flooding, and then north, more northern would get more of the snow and so yeah it was and i think once you read you most most um emergency services coordinators they say that it's easier of course to deal with snow than it is with ice yes but have you noticed wayne that like every every ice storm that we get in lexington our city i guess becomes a little more equipped better equipped to to deal with it yes they learned a lot we all learned a lot from the ice storm of 2003, tree trimming probably may not have been a, a big time focus for the utilities. It was afterwards. I know there was a spokesman for KU, I believe, that said that it wasn't the lack of tree trimming that you know caused the disaster. It was the entire trees falling, falling down. But the tree trimming, probably a lack of tree trimming, uh, probably added, did add more to the problem. It's interesting that uh, I was just thinking about this the other day when I was behind my fence line at my house doing yard work. We have a creek right behind our house, and between the creek and my backyard, there's the uh, fence. And I didn't really even know this until about 15 years ago, but that that's like my property. You know, that shows you how much I spent. <laughs> But it was mostly, it was weeds and uh, mm -hmm. trees back there. And after the ice storm, whenever a tree limb got over a wire, I went ahead and called KU or the cable company or, or, or the telephone company and said, hey, look, this, this, uh, these tree limbs are over the wires, and I'd hate for them to fall over and cause the kind of damage that happened during the ice storm. So they would come out and uh, trim the trees off the wires. And, but they wouldn't, they, you know, they just let the tree limbs drop behind the, the fence and just <laughs> left them there. So I finally started about 15 years ago, I finally started going back there and, you know, just picking up the old tree limbs and tossing them out. And then I got to thinking, yeah, oh, this would be a good project. So I started a project of, uh, I borrowed my neighbor's uh, tree trimmer and I, I started sawing the tree limbs and eventually got, uh, the whole back area there cleared off, and I guess we can thank the ice storm for that. 
<laughs> but I'm, I'm still working on it even after 15 years. Uh, still not totally clear. It's, uh, but yeah, tree trimming, there, there were some questions about whether tree trimming was being uh, done uh, enough of it before the ice storm. Mm-hmm. Mind you, mind you, in, in recent years, it's become more of a controversy than it is, um, you know, with where certain neighbors, uh, neighborhoods um, kind of protesting the <laughs> tree trimming and tree cutting projects from the electrical company. And that's a I mean, it's a different subject and another podcast in of itself. But um, but sometimes cities kind of have to weigh the, the negatives and the positives of of these uh, remedies in order to avoid you know, big catastrophes like uh, what happened in the ice storm of 2003. For sure. And I think also like when we were looking at houses back in 2014, 2015, we were looking at where the trees were in relation to the house because we didn't want there to be a chance, a good chance of a tree coming down on our house. And of course we ended up with one that has grown a little too big, (laughs) too close to the house, but well, I, well, I think with with the, another thing that the city could probably learn is is you know when you're developing neighborhoods to be conscious of what kinds of trees you're planting, and how you know their growth patterns and and probably make because, use of um, our our, our local arborists. Oh my goodness! Most street have those Bradford pears that are just so brittle that you know even after the other day when we had the really strong winds, Mm -hmm. I was driving down my mom's street that has Mm -hmm. all Bradfords and there were just limbs everywhere. They're just so brittle; they just come down. Yeah, yeah, and they're very invasive. The roots kind of you know pull up the sidewalks and stuff. So people, you know, you just have to be careful about what kind of trees you you plant around the neighborhoods to begin with. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, there was a KU official. uh, They had to appear before the council to city council to describe what they were doing uh, for the ice storm. And, you know, the tree trimming uh, aspect came up, of course. And one of the KU officials said something very interesting, and I have to agree with him. He he said, uh, you know, people in Lexington love their trees. They don't like people coming around. Cutting down their trees, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there is that balancing act, you know, keeping them trimmed and then keeping the people happy. Uh, you know, the problem with uh, what happened during the ice storm was just the amount of ice on the trees and the tree limbs and the, the wires. And, you know, repairs, people are probably frustrated with how long it took for the repairs. But, you know, first of all, they had to clear the streets for the utility people to come in to, to uh, make the repairs. And it wasn't just a simple repair to replace a, you know, a wire or something. They had to, you know, they had to unhook the wires from damaged poles and then they had to remove the poles uh, and then install new poles, replacement poles, and then put the wires back up. So it wasn't just a simple bringing a pole and sticking it up and hooking up a wire. There was yeah. a lot of yeah. more involved in it. And one electrician at the time for a local electrical company said he's never seen anything like it. Hundreds of contractors were making house calls uh, to replace meter boxes ripped off the sides of homes by falling trees. And one one thing I think a lot of us learned, I know I did, and I know a a city council member mentioned this too. I never knew that uh, until that ice storm that the masthead, uh, utility masthead is hooked up to our house. That is the property owner's responsibility. It's not 
the utility yes. company. So if it's uh, damaged, it's it's the homeowner's responsibility. And it's it like with the limbs and all the debris uh, that fell down. Well, if it's in the street, the city cleaned it up. But if it's in your yard, you had to clean it up. And I know that we, uh, after the storm hit and then we got our elect- electricity back, I was a volunteer for, for one of these uh, community organizations. I think at the time it was called First Link. And we would go out and volunteer to help people clear their yards, elderly people that couldn't clear them themselves. So we went out and a lot of debris out there. I know. It has to go somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So now... There was lots of complaints about the communication between the utility companies and the uh, city officials and the, and the customers. And, and a good example of the frustration of this lack of communication, I guess you could call it, property owner had like a masthead ripped off his home and uh, wires were in his yard and he called in to report it. And then I think they went somewhere to stay at somebody else's house. In the meantime, KU uh, got their service back up and running. And lo and behold, it caused the fire in the house. Their, their house oh was goodness, destroyed yeah. as a result. So the, the uh, communication, I think we really learned a lot about how to communicate during these kind of disasters from, from the 2003 ice storm. And like I said, uh, I think we, you know, you got to think of the positives um, that as far as I know, we did not lose anybody as a result of the, during the ice storm week. Now, I know there was a couple men who were tri- uh, trimming trees about a month later, cleaning up debris from the ice storm that had uh, hit a power line or something when they were on their ladder and they were electrocuted. And that, that, that was a, a sad thing. Uh, but during the ice storm, we, I don't think we lost anybody here, here in Lexington. Not that I heard of, no. It's from my reading. I, I don't think we did. Um, but of course, you always think about those that are unhoused. And I think the city did an okay job of, of getting those people in shelters in the meantime and, and warming shelters and all that. So, but yeah. That's those are those are the little details that the city has to think about um, when these storms come through. They did have a not only the city formed committee and, and filed a report on how the the utilities did during the ice storm, but the Kentucky State uh, Public Service Commission issued a report. It was uh, sixty one pages long. I actually printed it out and. And was trying to read through it. It's pretty complicated unless you're a utility person or. Yeah. A lot of technical details. Yes. But if anybody's interested, you can just Google 2003 ice storm and Kentucky Public Service Commission. And it should be like your first hit if anybody's interested in reading the the report. Uh, The report basically said that. The utilities, the utility workers and utilities did a great job, you know, getting power back on, did the best they could, did make some recommendations. Uh, For an example, they thought the communication could be uh, maybe improved. Uh, At at the time, of course, the Hispanic population was was uh, growing, 
you know, it was a large population in Lexington and growing, but they didn't have a Spanish speaker during, during the ice storm. So that was one of the recommendations uh, they made. And, uh, but overall, the, the report said that the utility workers just did a very good job getting us back up and running. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a major disaster. So you can learn from those types of things. And sometimes you got to just, you just got to take the bull by the horn and say, it's up to me to get through this. Sometimes that the government can't save you for everything on everything. Sometimes it's up to you to like the old West. <laughs> got to be a pioneer. Yeah. To this day, I uh, keep water in my garage just in case, you know, enough to, to survive for a few weeks and some uh, non-perishable goods and, just in case that government and the people that will be there to rescue you, it may take them a few days to get there. So uh, always, always uh, consider that. Yeah. I mean, it's always important to be prepared for those things, um, you know, in terms of food, uh, water and, 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 and your source of heat, especially in the winter. So now what got me through, I had the same meal every night that week. <laughs> I, I, Arby's for some reason was open. I would go up to Arby's and get one of those Market Fresh sandwiches and uh-huh. order potato cakes and an apple turnover every night for the whole week. <laughs> Mountain Dew and take Thank it home. Thank God for like those me. Arby's workers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and light, light up the, <laughs> light up a fire in man shirt and my candles and turn on the radio and have my dinner. Uh, that's how I, <laughs> I, I survived. Uh, now I do. I don't know if you were, if you recall it, Marion, but I do recall how I knew our power was back on. Now the utility uh, officials told told people, "Look, you know, turn off your appliances and so forth, because when the electricity does come back on, you don't want to have a big, you know, power surge." So I, you know, I paid attention to that, but I always kept my porch light on. Because I knew coming home from work, we, I think we got back to work on Wednesday. Uh, coming back to work, when I pulled down the street and I saw my porch light wasn't on, I said, ah, another day without electricity. <laughs> well, I happened to work that weekend, uh, the following Saturday, the 22nd, February 22nd, and got off work at 5 o'clock and went home. And, of course, my porch light's not on. So, I don't know, not another another night without electricity. So my uh, next door neighbor had just pulled up in her vehicle and we were out there talking. And I don't know if it was her that said it or, or me that said it, but one of us said, wasn't that just a flicker? And we caught a flicker of something, a light or something. And then we looked around and my porch light was still off. And I'm like, well, it's not my porch light. And it couldn't have been more than 10 seconds later. We're standing there in front of my home my porch light comes on and we, we were just like the happiest people of all time. We're like, Hey, we got electricity. <laughs> Unfortunately, the, the uh, folks behind across the street were still without, I, I believe they were still without electricity. I don't think they got theirs on until like the next day, but uh, if I remember correctly, uh, but that's how I learned that my electricity is back on is just a little flicker of my porch light. And then 
about 10 seconds later, it just came on. And uh, it's, it's funny the things you take for granted. We take our utilities and our water and all that for granted. But when we lose them, that's uh, we really appreciate. Yep. Uh, yep. Thank, thank goodness. Thank goodness for, <laughs> for those, those small gifts. And, I, you know, I think the city did a, a good job with their response, they opened up uh, emergency shelters. And I think Mayor Isaacs uh, formed a emergency operations center. And I, I still recall listening on the radio every night when uh, KU would give their reports. And But they never they couldn't tell you when you're going to get your electricity back on. Another thing, too, is they had priorities. Hospitals, nursing homes public safety were first in priority of getting the power back. And then they would go to uh, areas with the most residents uh, or businesses or what have you to get the power back on. So, so they did prioritize how they, what they worked on. And uh, unfortunately, or, well, I guess it's fortunate. I'd rather have the, I'd rather have the nursing homes and the hospitals have power. If I have to, if I have to sit down in my basement for, Without electricity, they have it. That I'm, I'm good with that. But there, there was a chart in the uh, Public Service Commission report, and like I said, anybody that wants to learn more about this uh, ice storm, this uh, Public Service Commission report that came out a year later, they really did a thorough analysis of a storm. But they had a uh, timeline of KU outage restoration. And on February 16th, one day uh, after the storm started, 146,000 customers were impacted, were without electricity. And then on February 17th, it was down to 66,000. Then on the 18th, 50,000. February 19th, 34,000. You can see it gradually going down. Uh, February 20th, 25,000. February 21st. 17,000 and my lucky day, February 22nd, it was down to 13,000. So most, most of the people got their electricity back on within a week. There were some that took a few days past up to maybe two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Ours was a week. We, I, I don't remember the exact date. I don't have a, as, as good of a memory as you do Wayne, but, <laughs> but um, we, we were out of the house for a week before, cause my husband would go periodically and check on the house and, um, and make sure, you know, all the pipes were not frozen or anything like that. But yeah, we were, we, it was, it was a week before we got back into the house. Believe me, Miriam, if you were in front of your house and your porch light flicker, you would have <laughs> remembered. Yes. <laughs> so, in, anyway, the reports, um, the city report and the uh, public service commission report, like with everything else, things can be improved and they, they made recommendations and, uh, I'm sure the utilities took them effect. Okay. Now the library you said was was open. I guess you were working, and of course they had power. So, um, did you notice like an influx of patrons coming in to charge their their phones, or or just to stay in the library to pass the time? Or I don't. I was talking to my stepson last night about this, and I was trying to get from. I said, I, I asked him, did we have what type of phones did we have 20 years ago? You said my memory is great. It's not that, it's not that good. Flip phones. I remember. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Those little Nokia flip phones. 
yeah, I, I couldn't remember. I don't re- I don't really remember anything, but you know, I was so focused on every in those kind of situations, everybody's focused on their own, you know survival. Power. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty much it. Yeah. So I don't really remember customers streaming into the library, and I'm sure they came in to to get some heat, and books to pass the time, and yeah, actually that's what I did. Yeah, I was a <laughs> junior in high school, and we were out of school for almost three weeks, and yeah. we were at the time thinking, oh, well, we're not going to get to have spring break. Like that was our biggest worry. Like there's no <laughs> spring break this year because we've been out. For most of February, but I think the second week we came down to Central because we lived in a newer house that had buried power lines, so we never lost power. And so we came down to Central, and I was in my opera phase, and I checked out. <laughs> at the time, you could check out up to eight hundred dollars worth of stuff, and I checked out eight hundred dollars worth of opera uh, VHSs <laughs> and just watched them that whole week. <laughs> <laughs> I can't explain my opera phase. I was just, I was in the middle of it and it hit at the right time for me to just blow through, I think, Central's well, thank, entire collection. <laughs> thank goodness for the opera collection at Central at the time. Right. VHS. Um, yes, on VHS. There were no DVDs really, I don't yeah. think, circulating. I think we had a DVD player, but uh, wait, yeah. do you remember if any of the branches lost power? I don't. I, yeah. I don't remember. I, I I probably need to go back over the board minutes and, and look uh, again. Yeah. You know, it's like you're just concerned about your own little area. Yeah. I seem to remember <laughs> maybe one of the branches I think had a had more of an impact than than the others. I have to look yeah. at. We talk about storm, but we haven't talked about the finances of of of, the of storm. course. Um, you know, nearly forty million dollars was spent by the city and area utilities in restoring service. To Lexington residents, uh, KU spent $22.5 million. They employed 2,334 people, including 1,851 private contractors to replace, like I mentioned, the utility poles, 547 of those, 236 transformers, 187,000 feet of overhead wires and cables, and 10,508 electrical fuses. And that's not to mention all the hundreds of thousands of short fuses of customers anxiously waiting for their uh, power to come back on. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, There was a lot of... We can't have a podcast without a Wayne pun. No, we (laughs) can't. This one. So it costs, you know, in all uh, it cost them $7.9 million, uh, the telephone company, Insight, $2 million. The urban county government spent $5.1 million, but they got a 75% uh, payback from FEMA uh, and then uh, 12.5% from the State Department of Emergency Management. Uh, so the cost eventually ended up being $688,035 for the uh, uh, urban county government. And, you know, the utilities had to call in contractors from all over. There was uh, contractors from Kansas City, North Carolina, Georgia, uh, Virginia. Uh, hundreds of workers descended onto central Kentucky to help. You mentioned, Miriam, going to your neighbors. Everybody chipped in to help each other. That's what happens during disasters. You know, people come to help out. 
my my neighbor and I still joke about this. He he worked uh, a shift at a, a company here in town, so I didn't have any uh, electricity. Or once the library opened up, I was afraid of oversleeping because my clock radio didn't have a alarm, and it wasn't even a clock radio; it was a radio. And so we had we had this agreement that he had to be at work at six o'clock. And, and I told him, I said, hey, can you knock on my basement window when you leave so I can get up? <laughs> so I'm be late for work. So he did that for two or three days. And we, we still joke about that. <laughs> you know, with all the chaos, one thing that went on was, of course, UK basketball. The interest in UK basketball. <laughs> I mean, it's February. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, a meteorite yeah. could be coming, heading right toward us and people would. <laughs> Ask, well, what time does the game start? Is it going to impact the game? <laughs> so anyway, there was a lot of front page news about all the chaos and during the ice storm and, you know, with the trees down and fire out, utter chaos in the city of Lexington. But amid all this front page news of utter devastation in, the, in our Lexington Herald Leader, I found this blurb article on the front page of Wednesday, February 19th. And this shows you where our UK basketball priorities are. Watch the cats. Even if you've lost the electricity in your home, you're not powerless to watch Kentucky play at Arkansas tonight. The game will be televised on a big screen in Rupp Arena. Admission and parking are free. No outside food or drink will be allowed, but concession stands will be open. More on the upcoming on page D1. So UK <laughs> basketball still went on. I, I just saw on. that. I just saw that, and I said, "That's the Lexington, Kentucky, I know." <laughs> yeah, the ice storm. Uh, that was. I've never experienced anything like that in in all my years here in Lexington. Like, like I said, I've experienced the storms. Uh, I used to deliver papers, so I've been out in the morning times during plenty of bad weather. But uh, that that one was something else. Yep. It sure was. Hopefully we're better prepared if, if something like that happens again. I, th- I think we are better prepared. I think so, too. And, and, it's, and, of course, the city usually does these commissions and reports after big incidents like this in order for us to learn from and be prepared for the next time. And, and the utilities also said that the thing to keep in mind as the reason why it took so long for all the repairs is Unlike a thunderstorm or something that comes through, takes down a wire or two or a tree or two, it's it's not like an entire ice storm over the entire city. I mean, this wasn't just uh, uh, one part of the city. This was all over. And so they were, they were uh, dealing with a much bigger disaster than just a thunderstorm or maybe even a tornado coming through yeah well it looks like the city definitely did learn since um we recently did have another ice storm that um thankfully wasn't as big of an impact as that one but but yeah thank you again so much wayne for contributing to this podcast we really enjoy talking to you as always thank you so much okay thanks mary we'll see you next time (laughs) bye thanks aaron 
Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.